You can either work in the business or you can work on the business. They have the knowledge and the skill to be successful. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has yet to come. Dive all in on the next chapter of your life. Welcome to the ProServe Podcast with Collective 54, a podcast for leaders of thriving boutique professional services firms. For those that are not familiar with us, Collective 54 is the first mastermind community focused entirely on the needs of leaders of boutique pro-serve firms. My name's Greg Alexander. I'm the founder, and I'll be your host today. And on this episode, we're going to talk about, quote-unquote, productizing your service. What do I mean by that? What I mean is generating revenue from things other than billable hours. And we've got a great role model with us today, and then we're going to walk through three examples as, as to how he's done this. His name is Robin Way. He's a Collective 54 member. Robin, welcome. Please introduce yourself. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, good morning. So I'm Robin Way. I'm the CEO and founder of Corios. We're based in Portland, Oregon, and we build data engineering and data science assets and processes for clients in the financial services, healthcare, and energy sectors. And uh, gosh, I've been in this field for over 35, coming up on 40 years now, back when we just called it math and statistics, <laughs> but it's a pretty sexy area. And I've, I've had the opportunity to sort of see this field uh, create and recreate itself probably four or five times over. And uh, hopefully I've learned a few things along the way. <laughs> I'm sure you have. So this concept we're going to talk about today is, quote, productizing the service. Again, the benefit of doing so is generating revenue for something, for something other than the billable hour, you know, mm -hmm. selling access to an asset as opposed to selling your time. So my team has told me you've, you've got three examples of this, and I want to dedicate the show to that. The first one is I understand you've built a self-paced training product. So my question would be, you know, how'd you come up with the idea? Why'd you do it in the first place? Tell us the story of this training product. Sure. Well, our sweet spot is helping our clients move from a really old discipline of doing analytics and data in their organizations to a much more modern way using open source programming and cloud computing. And the biggest change that our clients face is not a technical challenge, it's a human challenge because people write code. Code doesn't write itself. Well, as long as ChatGPT doesn't make our, <laughs> our entire industry disappear, which I really don't think it's going to. Oh. So people struggle with learning new things. And it's scary and it's uncertain and they feel threatened by, by, gosh, this is the way I've done stuff for 20 years. And everybody that we help looks like me, gray hair, gray beard, you know, they're older, they're getting ready for retirement. How in the world do they keep their job long enough without sacrificing, you know, the end of career? And also, how do they learn how to interact with their, with the young startup, you know, kids in their 20s and 30s who speak completely different programming languages than they do? So we wrote a, we built a training product where these students can take what they know. We built the course knowing what they know, because I'm one of them. And I walked through the same journey myself five years ago so that they can understand how to write in these new environments, new languages, using what they already know and hopefully make it a little bit easier. And, I, and some of the research we've done suggests that's kind of one of the best ways to teach someone something new and scary is provide them side-by-side -side examples. 
here's what you know, here's what it looks like in the new thing on, on the other side of the page. And self-paced, because as I watch a lot of these other training platforms like Coursera and Udemy, everybody's busy. Nobody has the time to sit down in a classroom anymore for eight hours. Besides, they'd just be sitting on their phones, you know, chatting and Instagramming, who knows what they'd be doing. So make it available to them on their pace and their cadence and let their boss influence how much time they spend every week. But what's, I think, more important from a business perspective as an entrepreneur is um, <coughs> I also don't have to sit in a classroom for eight hours a day. If I can scale the number of students we reach from, say, 10 over the course of one business day to, well, gosh, hundreds in the course of a week, now that's a, that's a desired future state for this, line of, for this uh, new product. But that's the point, is unlock us from the confines of what a person can do in a billable hours. And um, because otherwise, you know, we'll just, I'll be doing this until I'm in my 80s. Yeah. And I don't really want to do that. Yeah. So it, it's a great example and it highlights the benefit of doing this. You know, if you can create a, a product, if you will, when I say that term, I don't mean become a product company, but I mean right. productize your expertise, then you've right. decoupled um, you know, the billable hour, your labor with the revenue yeah. stream and training products, a great way to do that. In fact, Collective 54 just did the same thing. We've built companion courses for the two books, the boutique and the founder bottleneck and same idea. I mean, if, if, if I had to stand in a classroom and teach the concepts in that book, my God, it would take hours and hours and hours these days, you know, with the self-paced e-learning technology that's available, everybody can kind of learn it on their own when they have the time. It's a highly scalable activity. So that's a great example. Let's go to the second example, which is these, uh, as it's been described to me, a code translator. So what does that mean? Yeah. Yep. Well, this kind of goes hand in hand. It's kind of like the peanut butter to the jelly of the training product. Okay. So when these students have been writing their data analytics workflows for years, maybe 10, 20 years, or maybe they inherited code from somebody else who was at that business and has left. And all they know is, oh, I press go on this piece of code every Monday and I get a PowerPoint out the back end of it. So they, if they know this, the task that this piece of code is doing, and we ask them, all right, now take what we just taught you and now convert this, this code from one language to another. It's a lot like like that you the the translator sitting in the UN building in New York, you know they hear they're listening to French and they're translating to Spanish on the fly. Interesting. That's not easy mm. to do, and it's tedious, time consuming, error prone. So we wrote uh, these three code translators that basically translate English to French to Spanish to Mandarin um, to basically the target languages that they're going to use when they're moving to their target state, you know, moving to Python or Spark or whatever on the cloud, because that's the destination where all of our clients are, are eventually moving. And by doing so, we're taking the tedious low value work and automating it. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not, it's a, it's an art and a science. It's not completely automatable. And frankly, that's where, just like with the training product, if we teach the low value skills, that allows us as consultants to be advisors and, uh, and you know, people who empower our clients to realize, okay, now I can focus 
my dollars for the Corios consultants on the higher value stuff, which is also a good way of not getting caught up in battling offshore consultants who could do something similar at a much lower billable rate. Yep. Another great example, right? I mean, all of us as merchants of expertise, we have to realize that what was once a unique high value activity eventually will become a commodity. And, and if you don't automate those things through technology, the code translator is a great example of that. Eventually, you can have all kinds of fee pressure and you'll become a commodity. So by providing you know, um, tech automation and productizing the service, you can still mm-hmm. meet the need the client has, but, but not with labor, with a product, which then allows right. you to push up market and work on more strategic things that they're willing to, to pay a high dollar per hour for the labor. Okay, that's a great example. Yeah. The third one was less intuitive to me. It was described, I think, incorrectly, so I'm going to give you a chance to describe it to me. It's called the AWS Inventory Software. What, what is that? Sure. Yeah, let me, let me set the stage for this. So this is actually the product that is at the start of the, the client lifecycle. So you think about classic consulting first, come on in and help the client size up what the size of their problem and the nature of their problem is, then do the work, and then teach them how to do the work themselves. We're, we've sort of tackled these products in reverse order. That doesn't matter for the podcast, but yep. the, this third product is at the, the first stage in the client lifecycle. We're going to inventory just how big is your problem, where is it worst, okay. what should we do first, second, third. So this is an inventory product that we built uh, you know, about four years ago, and what we're doing now is we're converting it, we're sort of upscaling it, to put into the AWS marketplace. That's basically, you know, Salesforce has one, and, you know, Microsoft has one. Well, basically you can download plugins into your, you know, software. You can download software that runs in your own computing environment. The, up, the, the upshot of all this is we want the client to do an inventory either way. That gets us to where we really want to be. The sweet spot of our life cycle is creating value. The inventory itself, just tells us how much value there is to create. Mm-hmm. And we want to accelerate the, the pace of that project. The way that we do it today without this, this you know, downloadable, pluggable piece of software that we put up on the AWS marketplaces, instead we come into their environment, we have to do three to six months of pre-sale and three months of delivery. By using this you know, uh, upgraded version of the technology that client can download themselves and run themselves, we're basically taking months and months, maybe almost a, up to a year, and we're reducing it down to a couple of weeks. Wow. Because the client can dip their toe in the water, they can try before you buy, all those kinds of nice, you know, for the client who says, gosh, I don't know if I can sustain in our organization the time to do this inventory if it's going to take me six months. I got, I got a day job. Mm-hmm. So if we can crunch that down to a couple of weeks, then they can go, ah, you're right, I have a huge problem and I really need you to come in and fix it. That way we get to the sweet spot, the place where it's going to be hard to dislodge us or, or to question the value. So that's, that's the third product. Okay, another great example. Now, I know some of our members, they're going to hear that example and they're going to say, why the heck would I want to do that? I sell yeah. a consulting project. I spend three, six, nine months in quote-unquote discovery. I'm billing the client for that work. If that gets reduced to two weeks, I just cut my revenue stream dramatically. Um, I think that's the wrong way to look at it, but 
What right, would you right. say to those members? Yeah, well, inventory, yeah. So in, in, in my line of work, the inventory is not the value. Anybody, I mean, the classic complaint about consultants is, I pay, a, you know, in my case, I'm paying Robin, paying this guy to come in and look at my watch and tell me what time it is. Right. There's no, there's no value in that. So plus the inventory, a lot of that three to six months of presale is just us sitting around waiting for the client to say that they're finally ready. Mm. So we're not billing that whole time. We might, you know, we have a flat fee for that service. It's maybe 250 grand if we do it the hard way. We might give it away. You know, practically, we might charge a nominal fee of 10, 20, 25 grand for the try before you buy service because that's the way in the tech space a lot of software is sold is get me hooked with the freeware, with the shareware. And then when I realize, oh, I love this, I want more and I want to know more about Corios, then they bring us in. And now we're talking about a much more sort of a platinum level relationship where they see, wow, you guys know a ton. I had no idea our problem was this bad. Come and help me. Now we're into the, the part of the relationship I really want yeah. is, is, is that, is implementing the value and bringing them to the promised land and not just reading their watch for, you know, for, um, uh, you know, for what is uh, really should be a cost of sale. Yep. Excellent example. What I would add to that is there's probably a lot more demand out there that our members could capture if they could take something like discovery, and I use that term broadly, from six months to two weeks. There's a whole bunch of customers in the market who will now probably hire you because they don't have to go through that six-month grueling process. You know, the value right. prop right. gets done in two weeks. So the demand will go up. And then, of course, as Robin said to us, what you get to what you really want to get to, which is fixing the problem, not diagnosing the problem a hell of yep. a lot quicker. Robin, one more question on this. So these three examples, the training product, the translation product, and the inventory product are all great examples of productizing services. Do you charge for them? Great question. Kind of. So <laughs> we, so um, I'd, say, I'd say there's two dynamics in the market for, you know, we are a, we are in the ecosystem of Amazon Web Services. We are a premier, you know, solutions provider in the AWS ecosystem. And AWS is all about commitment to the client and about delivering time to value. Um, so what that means is the clients have come to expect, I want results fast that I can scale. And I want to be able to fail fast. And if an experiment's going poorly, throw it away, figure out what does work and go with that instead. So um, the, the realities of this market are you have to bring to the client what they have come to expect. And that means changing the way that you work as a consultant mm. um, and finding your one niche because Amazon will, AWS will tell you as a, as a pro-serve company, do not present yourself as, oh, I can do anything. I can do some data science stuff. I can do some data migration stuff. I can build you a new app. Be good at one thing that's very discreetly defined that you are the best in the room at and stick with that. And that's what we're trying to do. So when you say you kind of charge for this, so 
Are you? Oh yeah. Let me come yeah, back to that. Yeah. We call these accelerators. Okay. If I tried to, for example, we're trying to take a customer from state A to state B. Once they're at state B, they have no need for a recurring software fee because mm-hmm. they they solve the problem. So we're not selling it as a soft as a recurring software revenue. Now, some people will go, well, what are you creating these products for? They're A, they're differentiators. B, they're accelerators. Everybody wants, they want to know, I can just pay you for hours or you're bringing hours plus something yeah. really compelling and distinctive. Yeah. And I want to know that you're going to reduce the operational risk of the engagement and you're going to leave me stronger than I was before. Yeah. So they're really accelerators for value. Mm. I'm not selling them for a price. Because, because we are trying to sell our expertise. Yep. They are expertise in a bottle. Yep. And therefore, the reason why you're charging, or kind of, is because you're getting more deals and you wouldn't have had these deals otherwise. That's right. So, yeah, got That's it. That's right. Exactly right. All right. Well, we're out of time. Robin, this was an awesome uh, example, three examples on how to productize a service. So on behalf of the members in the collective, I appreciate you being here very much. Yeah, you too, Greg. This was great. Thanks for inviting me. Okay. All right. So as a call to action, let me speak first to the members. So uh, first things, you should attend the Friday Q&A session, which is the private session that we'll have with Robin, and you can ask your questions directly to him. Secondly, um, you might check out the companion course for the boutique book. In it, one of the tools is called the Revenue Mix Tool, and it teaches you how to develop different revenue streams and therefore have a broader revenue mix, which is what Robin demoed for us today. And then also for those that are playing around with the founder bottleneck, uh, there's a template in that companion course called the High Potential Employee Development Plan. And if you're wondering, hey, Greg, I want to productize my service, but who has the time to do that? It's a great project for a high potential employee to take on to develop themselves and create more value for you. So I direct you to that. And then if you're not a member and you're listening to this public uh, podcast, first you should consider being a member. You'll get access to great people like Robin and tools like the ones I just shared with you. And you can do that at collective54.com. Fill out the contact us form and someone will get get in contact with you regarding that. But if you're not ready to join, but you want some more of this outstanding content, join um, our newsletter, which is collective54insights.com. And if you do so, you get three things. You get a blog on Monday, a podcast on Wednesday, and a chart on Friday. Okay, with that, thanks for being here, everybody. Robin, again, thank you. And uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks.